0: Hi, and welcome to the Fashion and the Free podcast, the show that pulls back the curtains of the fashion industry to reveal what really goes on behind closed doors, as well as teaching you some tips and tricks of the trade. I'm your host, Emma Golly, a fashion designer, consultant and founder of Fashion and the Free. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Chris Kidd, founder of one of the largest fashion job sites, Style Careers. Many of you may be familiar with Chris as the face of his company's style careers, especially if you've signed up to the site's regular emails or follow them on LinkedIn. The job site has been around for over 20 years, helping countless fashion professionals across the globe find their next position in the industry in a variety of roles, from accounting to design. I sat down with Chris to find out what fashion recruiters and brands are currently looking for how the job market has changed in the past three years, and what steps you can take to ace your applications and interviews. Whether you are currently looking for a position right now, or want to bag some expert advice for the future, I hope you find our chat as interesting and helpful as I did. So first of all, hi Chris, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you were able to do this. I know a lot of people are really, really excited for this episode. I asked a lot of our followers on Instagram to send us questions for you, and I was inundated with questions from everyone, so I apologize. We're going to have like a lot of questions fired at you today, and I've obviously done my best to include as many of the questions that were asked um, in our chat today. But first of all, I'd really love to know a little bit about Style Careers itself. You launched it a really long time ago. How has it changed since it began?
1: I guess to back up a little bit, I started Style Careers because I was looking for a job, right? Wow. And then,
0: you know, 99,
1: 2000, 2001, at that time, everybody got Women's Wear Daily. We just called it the paper. And you got the paper on Wednesday, and they would have 12 to 15 pages of classified ads, you know, the ones that were really short. And, you know, I had, I was working in New York and got moved to the Midwest to take over I was selling CAD cam for electric systems, So, mm-hmm. you know, pattern making, cutting yeah. machines, that sort of thing. And I uh, lost that job and, uh, and looking for a job, I started Style Careers because I was really frustrated with Women's Wear Daily. And uh, that was always our biggest fear is if we started Style Careers and then Women's Wear Daily figured out they should make a job board, then we thought we would, you know, go out of business and it didn't impact us. Like, um, they don't even have a job board anymore. So as far as the way Style Careers has changed, it's the big deal with style careers is that we're so specific to the industry that we actually haven't like the basic structure of the site hasn't had to change you know we've tweaked like our job alerts like how you get them and when you get yeah. them and um but you know the, the big deal with our site is that we eliminate the sloppiness associated with keywords right so if we're getting like if you're a technical designer You know, on your resume, it might say tech designer. It might say technical designer. It might say spec tech. It might say costing technician. If you're on LinkedIn, you get so many different kinds of jobs that have nothing to do with tech designer. And if you're getting the wrong jobs, you know you're missing out on some of the good jobs. Does that make sense? And so, But with us, you know, you check off design technical and then all the sloppiness associated with keywords is eliminated. And so just that little idea has kept us in business for 20 years because we're very mm-hmm. exact with candidates getting the job sent to them. We're very exact when they search the site. And then when recruiters search our site, you know, they don't, you know, they don't, they, even if they think in terms of their own job listing, that might be different than the title on your resume. It doesn't matter because they have to go with a checkbox that we define, yeah. right? And so that's that's basically it. As far As far as other changes, you know, we we have a portfolio site called Style Portfolios. We've got our careers blog. We're launching a uh, review site, right, okay. which will allow job seekers to review employers. We think it's going to be more oh. substantial for our industry than, yes. say, like Glassdoor, uh, largely because we're making a differentiation between we're going to have, you know, like on Glassdoor, the recruitment agencies, the reviews are all working for the agency, Ours are set up so it's working with the agency. You know, were they attentive? Did they yeah. understand your position? Does that make sense? And so yeah, that, exactly. that's, that's going to be the big differentiator with our site and, say, Glassdoor. And plus, we're yeah. going to drill down to the small companies that a lot of times that, you know, like how many companies just do licensing and you never hurt the brands. And so we're going to drill down to those. So that it, it should be pretty cool and it should be a big plus for the industry.
0: No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of those points are super smart because I even just from my personal experience, when I go on LinkedIn, you know, I might type in apparel designer or a fashion designer, I still get a ton of job sites, basically jobs that come up that are completely irrelevant to what I typed in. You know, it might be like a website designer or something like that. And I'm like, you just can't hone in on like what you're actually looking for, and so you're just left with this huge list of irrelevant roles basically so yeah i think that's super smart and actually to your point with Glassdoor, that's another thing like again from personal experience you go on there and you're totally right it's definitely people that you know it's people's shop floor experience versus headquarters and so this is very like clouded when you're looking at a shop floor versus someone at headquarters role so i think that's super smart yeah um, so we, we think it's
1: gonna be fun i mean we think yeah. it's gonna like good content
0: and so that's really
1: the big difference between old style careers and new style careers. And you know, you get this, and most everybody does get this. Yeah. You know, we need to provide content that's useful for our uh, our customers, you know, job seekers and employers. The more yeah. con- the more good content, more relevant content we can provide, the better traffic. 100%. And that's your business right now. I know that. So everybody gets yeah, it. That. Exactly. That's, everybody gets it. So
0: yeah, totally. And so for anyone that's listening that by some Weird Miracle hasn't heard of style careers, what kind of fashion brands and roles do you usually have on your site?
1: Yeah, you know, so our site is focused on the positions that make fashion companies go, right? So we we originally started only on home office positions, uh, design, product development, production, sourcing, planning, like production planning, tech design, colorist, you know, anything that makes a fashion company, if you're touching the fabric, if you're working with the factories, if you're selling the product to like on a wholesale basis, and then so that's all product related is one section, merchant related is the other. So buyers, planners, allocators, merchandisers, uh, account executives, e-commerce, anything that's again, makes a fashion company, a fashion company. Now, one thing that we backed into was store level retail, and it's not something that we do a lot of, but what we where we're helpful is with the high-end boutique brands, right? So uh, we were finding that there were um, great store-level talent, finding style careers on their own. You know, maybe they were reading Mm -hmm. Women's Wear Daily. Maybe they were going to the fashion blogs, but they weren't in, they never got that degree from FIT or FITM or they never, you know, became the designer that they wanted to. And they're working in like, say, the Gucci spa at uh, Bloomingdale's or, you know what I mean? And so we do, we, uh, you know, a a lot of job seekers that do high-end boutique, the old haberdasher, people that know how to work a book, right? Yeah. Um, like the really professional retail people use to quite a bit too.
0: So during the last two to three years, I would assume that the fashion job market's changed quite a bit. Am I right in assuming that?
1: You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and these things go through ebbs and flows. You know, like when we started the company, you know, tech design was hot because so much more offshoring was happening, right? We were manufacturing yeah. mistakes more 20 years ago. Not a lot, but more tech yeah. designers became more important. So half of every pattern maker became a tech designer and then we had a pattern. Yes. Yeah. Um, as we, you know, 10 years later, planning was a bigger deal than buying. and Just yeah. getting the right items in yeah. the right doors kind of thing. And then, you know, in the last two or three years, obviously there's, you know, a push for e-commerce. It's just so yeah. much more, it's just e-commerce and e-commerce marketing. Right. And so, um, th- and that's gonna change because it's kind of that market, is you know it's attracting a lot of talent and then what i see personally happening over the next two or three years is that the e-commerce is going to have a kind of a rubber band pullback right because yeah. you can't touch the fabric right you know yes, like someone explain. i've got a textile degree and yeah. you know so many things that i've ordered direct to consumer you know the fabric's crap or the, yeah. the fit's weird. you know what i mean or it's you know, it's things that look great in a photograph, we don't necessarily yeah. look good in person. And so I think there's going to be a lot yeah. more emphasis going forward on the product positions, because the better yeah. the product is, the less returns you're going to have. Right. And so yeah. the more sales you're going to get. So that's that's the way it is right now. Um, I know that at the beginning of the pandemic, there was the promise of remote positions. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that we are supposed to discuss. If that's okay, I want to. Yeah, uh, no,
0: you can jump right ahead.
1: At the beginning of the pandemic, we we saw a lot more remote positions. As peop you know, as it moved on, uh, of course, there's fewer and fewer remote positions. And then now, there's I don't want to say they're not there anymore, but there's just not the remote opportunities that there were two years ago. And that's understandable. Yeah. I know there are a lot of people that think you know you know things have changed and everybody can work from home, and it, it's really just not the case. Right. So, I mean, yeah. if you work, if you do, let's say, merchandise planning, you're going to have a lot more work from home opportunities mm-hmm. than, say, a technical designer or a pattern maker. Yeah. You know, a colorist needs to use her eyes right on the fabric through a screen. You know, things get translated so many different ways. You know, if you're running a fit session, you can look at a high depth video of people. But, yeah. you know, that technical <clears> designer needs to say, you know what? No, the dart needs to go this way, not this way. You know what I mean? And so yeah. and there's just so many efficiencies that um, that we get in the fashion industry by being next to each other. You know, the, the designer's got to work close with the tech designer and the tech designer's got to work close with the production people. And sometimes yeah. taking a whole day to FedEx a garment to the next person, it's just unrealistic. And then the other part is yeah. bigger companies are going to have more work from home opportunities um, just because yeah. they've got these big, big infrastructures. Smaller companies are going to have fewer of them. Right, and, and yeah. that's a lot of it. It just—it's it, like how closely people look at the money. You know, you, the smaller the company you work for, the closer the boss's eyes are to the bottom line. And so it doesn't matter if you're LA or New York or maybe even London. Garmentos are garmentos, right? Yeah. And we—we if we have a bad quarter, we want to see butts and seats kind of thing. Yeah, you know what I mean?
0: totally. Yeah, I mean, I definitely noticed that. You're completely right. I definitely noticed the whole like remote went very quickly to being in office, you know, even when I look online at jobs, I see that the requirement is on site, which works for some people works and doesn't work for others. I mean, even me as a freelancer, I actually am fully remote and I've made it work, but I appreciate that for someone hiring full time. They're going to want butts on seats, like you were saying. And I do think that actually a hybrid can work for some roles in the industry. I think breaking that week up so like maybe a designer can work remote. because so I think, you know, if you just have your computer and you're, or you're just sketching, you know, you can very easily do that. At home. But, you know,
1: hybrid is very popular and it's, very, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times it's two or three days a week or maybe yeah. it's just one day a week. And, and, then, and that's especially important for L.A. job seekers because you can live, you can live. Ten miles from the company, you know the the office, and that might be an hour commute. You know what I mean? Oh
0: gosh, yeah. And it's not
1: like a New York commute where you can sit on a train and read a paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, even so, yeah. The LA experience is so much different than the New York experience, and, and that probably in County too, because it's not like the traffic there is great, right?
0: No, um, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I definitely, as I said, I think from experience, I've seen ways in which it can all be done remote. But I think day to day when you're working at full time for someone and there's constant meetings, you know, approvals, all the things like it is beneficial for someone to be in the office. And I actually do think as someone, obviously, I've been in the industry for quite some time now, over 12 years now. And I actually think as someone that was entering the industry, I would 100% want to be in an office because yeah. that's where i was making my connections with people you know connections that i still have now you know 10 year, ten, twelve 12 years later so i do think there's something to be said especially for even people just going into the industry i think it's so important for them to you be know, with other people you're 100
1: percent right on that young people if you're if you're just starting out of the industry you've got less than five or six years of experience Yeah, people need to see you they need yes. to physically see you right mm-hmm. and you need to you need to portray that you are needed, right? Because if you're working from home, they don't necessarily perceive you as being needed. And being invaluable to your boss is the biggest thing any young job seeker can do.
0: Yeah, even down to, you know, presentations in a meeting, it's very different to present over Zoom versus being in that room in the office presenting to a bunch of people like that's when you can make a big impact especially as someone starting out and you know trying to make an impression really i think is probably the the key nah, to that.
1: that's absolutely right you're absolutely right and people have to have realistic expectations one thing with yeah you know i i and this people think i'm joking when i say this i've had three <laughs> different people ask me if they have any store management positions that are remote
0: oh okay <laughs> how
1: are you gonna run the cash and drop right how you gonna do a floor set Yeah. (laughs) People say there are no dumb questions, but
0: those are dumb questions. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely like some roles that just, it's just not even a, it just can't even be a thing for sure.
1: And then, you know, you're, I mean, we're in agreement with this. Anybody who's listened, don't shoot the messenger. We're just telling it how it is. Yeah. It's not my fault. These aren't remote jobs. I wish everything was remote or hybrid or something like that. Yeah. Um, We're just relaying the real. In the
0: reality. I'm interested to talk to you a little bit more about the application and the interview process on various levels. So I think that's something that a lot of people are asking me questions about. So for anyone who's just beginning their career in fashion, out of college or university, what are some of the ways they can best prepare their resume, and prepare for an interview, particularly if they obviously at that level don't have a huge amount of experience?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the big thing, I mean, well, it's, there, there are two different types of of gatekeepers on any application. One is either a person, like a real life person is going to read your resume. The other is an applicant tracking system, right? Mm -hmm. the applicant tracking system, I think it's like 98% of all Fortune 500 companies have applicant tracking systems. Almost 70% of all medium-sized companies have applicant tracking systems. Uh, For the people listening in the Southern California area, there are fewer applicant tracking systems proportionately to Northern California and New York. So many of those companies are big that they all have applicant tracking systems, right? So right. for a job seeker, and this, this goes for entry level or mid-level mid or senior level, if, if you know that your application is going through an applicant tracking system, right? And the way you know this is if you're applying on the company's website, mm-hmm. on Style Careers, if you click that pink button and it takes you to another company's site, that's an applicant tracking system, right? Right. On Stalkers, if you click the pink button and it asks you to upload your resume, then you can rest assured that a person will be reading your resume, right? Got it. With respect to the applicant tracking system, the biggest deal is to have the right keywords on your resume, right? Because if you don't have the right keywords, you're, what happens is the, um, you submit your resume and bots in the applicant tracking system, they compare all the words on your resume with all the words on the job listing.
0: And if right. there's a
1: percentage match, then your resume goes to the next level. That next level might be, you know, the hiring manager gets a ding or the recruiter gets a ding, or it goes to another set of eyes to somebody to make a decision whether they're good or not good for this job, right? Yeah. So the big thing with with all resumes that go through applicant tracking system is to look at the keywords on the job listing and make sure you have those keywords on your resume. So what happens is people look at context and not actual letters in the word, right? So yeah. A, tech de- a tech designer and a technical designer, that's the same thing. My, my nine-year-old knows that that's the same thing, right? <laughs> but the bot doesn't know. You know what I mean? Or yeah. the recruiter that implemented the applicant tracking system never said, this equals this. Spec tech, um, you know, costing technician, these are all the same things. Yeah. Uh, and so if, if your keywords don't match the job listing, then you don't get moved on to the next level. And so we always recommend that your resume matches the bulk of jobs. If you're a technical designer and every job you see is tech designer, or let's say you're a pattern maker, mm. is it pattern maker? One word is it pattern maker, two words. Um, you're going to look at, you know, like these applicant tracking systems, they pick up the unique keywords, right? So like of, the, and that doesn't matter. What matters is, do I know, let's, for example, Lectra, or Gerber or AcuMark, or, yeah. you know, like, if you're a designer, let's say I know the entire Adobe Creative Suite. I'm a, I'm a whiz bang and I know the entire Adobe Creative <laughs> Suite. And I put Adobe Creative Suite in my resume, but the ad says Illustrator, yeah. you didn't have a keyword match.
0: Damn, I didn't know it was that, it, yeah, I no, there's, know that you gotta, strange. Yeah, you gotta
1: assume that it's just dumb and it's only looking at letters, wow. like character strings. And so you, you, you know what I mean? Like in some ads you'll say, you gotta know Adobe. Okay, well, I know Illustrator and I know everybody knows Illustrator is part of Adobe. Yeah. But you don't, you got to look at what the recruiter puts in the ad. So that that's a big deal. Now, as far as content goes, an entry-level job seeker, you know, you're going to lead with your education. Obviously, you're going to lead with their education. A lot of schools teach that you should have an objective statement at the very beginning, you know, like an objective, and then you lead with your education and then whatever experience you might have. Mm-hmm. I hate objective statements. I think they paint people into a corner. I think they're old school. It's, you know, it's the way we yeah. were taught in the 80s and 90s how to write a resume. Yes. <laughs> um, I like summary statements a lot better. Uh, you know, here's, you know, two to three sentences of what I am and what I can do for your company. You know, um, younger job seekers have this, and, and I think they're taught this. It's not their fault. But, you know, like they, they a lot of younger job seekers, they'll, they want to tell people what they want out of the job.
0: Mm, right. I yes. want to learn and
1: grow. I want to, no one cares what you want.
0: No, they want to know what you can sure. do for them.
1: What can you do for the company? Yeah. 100%. And that, that's the big deal. So, in your summary statement, in those first three sentences, Max, you need to portray that you want to help the company. Because at the end of the day, you're trading labor for dollars. That's what it is. You're trading labor yeah. for dollars. And you want that employer to know or think that they're going to get their dollars worth out of your labor. And that's, that. that's the big deal. People that, you know, again, Garmento doesn't care if you want to learn and grow. They just don't. Yeah. If you can help them get the line out, that's what they want to hear.
0: Yeah, know? totally. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth of it, isn't it? And I think, you know, by the sounds of it, you're almost saying that obviously a lot of the times the jobs will require cover letters, which I'm going to get into a bit later, but it sounds like you're almost doing this tiny little summary of like what you would put in a cover letter essentially. It's like what, like you're saying, like, what are you going to do for that company?
1: And who yeah. That. And, then, and as a more experienced job seeker, that summary statement, or you have that much space to capture somebody's attention. Yeah. Three seconds in, if you don't have their attention, they're not going to read the rest of it. With experienced job seekers, you actually want to create a return on investment analysis for the reader. You know, mm-hmm. this is how much money I'm going to save the company. This is how much money I'm going to make the company these are how many people that I can manage at one time so that that'll save the company money. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So like with a, with a more experienced resume, you start with a summary statement and then you go right next to select accomplishments. And you know, again, the select accomplishments is where I can make money or save money. Time is money. So it's saving money or saving time. You know, I manage 10 people or 80% adoption rate. Okay. Well, that's huge. You know what I mean? Like, so, those are the kind of things that the more experienced uh, job seekers need to put on their resumes.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Honestly, like most of that stuff you have just said, I didn't even know myself, and I've been doing this a long time. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that have found what you've just said so interesting.
1: If you're young in your career, you need to capture the data that shows that you're saving money for a company or making money for a company. Because what happens is someone gets five, 10 years into their career and they need to transition to a more results-oriented resume, well, yeah. return on investment resume, but they can't find any of the numbers. You know, did you, you know, decrease lead times by 25%? Did you, re- you know, reduce returns by 10% by doing whatever it is you did? You got to save that information. You got to put it like, you know, put it on your notepad and your phone and keep it every time. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's not just for your resume and getting new jobs. That's important. Or your reviews, also.
0: Yeah, I agree. Actually, it's actually one bit of advice I got given uh, when I was working in London. You know, you want, you know, you're at that stage where you're like, I'm think I'm deserve a raise at this point. You can't walk into that meeting with no facts or figures, like you need some data behind, say, like, I made you this amount of money this year, or I made you this amount of money in a week, you know, whatever it is, that's something I got taught, like, as a valuable piece of information during my career is like, you have to come to the table with evidence to back up. That's exactly why you deserve to move on to that next step.
1: That's exactly right. And the big mistake people make is they don't, they don't capture that data throughout their career
0: yeah and if you don't have that information yourself, like find someone who does I and mean, if you're in a in a role that you' you don't necessarily have full access to that, find somebody that does if you're a designer, find a buyer or a merchandiser that might have that you're working with that might have a bit more of that information. you know often these uh, companies will have trade sessions where they'll talk about you know what everything has done that week versus the week before or versus last year things like that so like really know your achievements as you go and keep a record of them.
1: And if you have that mentality going into your first job, then you're gonna recognize things that make the company money or save the company money that may or may not get written down by your boss. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just that's just the mentality that people need to have if they're gonna work for somebody else.
0: Yeah. I've Even coming to the US, and this is very valid for anyone that is even thinking of working abroad, is actually you really do need to like keep all that evidence because a lot of the time when you're trying to get into another country they require it as part of your visa application they require evidence to suggest like why you deserve to be coming to this other country to work for them so that's actually something i learned as well is like keep everything even if you're in a publication you know you might have something you've worked really hard on and it goes into vogue or something just keep everything that's my definitely that's, my that's advice to my, right. what i've learned
1: <laughs> yeah no it's, it, it, all, it all comes down to value
0: yeah and
1: yeah. if i want to raise i have to show value if i want a new job i need to show value if i'm coming to another country a lot of countries want the the immigrants to show that they're going to bring value to the greater economy you know what i mean exactly and so yeah save
0: that information it's just yeah absolutely so do you i don't know if you get too many of these applicants but do you ever get applicants that for fashion roles that didn't go to college or university and if you do do you think it's generally harder for them do you think recruiters and brands are mainly looking for people that had a college or university education
1: Yeah you know it, it's definitely tougher for job seekers that don't have that training on their resume and and, and the big deal is because you've got recruit, recruiters that are just getting bombarded with um, resumes right or you've got applicant tracking systems that are looking for degree programs Right. Yeah. If you don't have that degree, then that bot automatically kicks you out. Right. So mm-hmm. the companies that they're applying to with applicant tracking systems makes it really tough. So yep. I'm not saying this is a hundred percent, but you're people that are kind of doing a, a a lateral move, or maybe they didn't get a fashion degree, but they want to work in the fashion industry. You're probably going to have better luck with companies that are reading your resume as opposed to those that have applicant tracking. You know, and of course that a lot of that. It doesn't mean if a company has an applicant tracking system that you can't get past that, bot, you may need to use a personal network. You know what I mean? You may need to yeah. contact somebody directly on LinkedIn. You might need to use one of your education contacts to see who knows who. Um, yeah. As much as I want to say style careers is the number one source for, for you know, fashion talent. It is, but only after personal networking. You have to you have to exploit your personal networks. You really do. That's how a lot of the jobs are built, right?
0: Yeah. And a lot of, you know, if someone's just starting out, a lot of how they can do that is even through internships, you know, finding the right people to reach out to through LinkedIn, et cetera. And, you know, really trying to get that experience on the ground because there you can make your contacts, you can make good impressions, they're seeing you as you like in the flesh. And you can really then use that to your advantage, rather than um, just sitting behind a computer trying to fire out your resume. See this, and that's
1: and that dovetails with being in people's spaces, right? Yeah.
0: Totally. Not working
1: remote. If you're in the office, yeah, yeah. you're gonna make those personal networks. See, that's called putting yeah. it together, right?
0: yeah it's all about all about the connections so what are your top tips I mentioned cover letters earlier so what are your top tips for creating a standout cover letter because I noticed that pretty much most brands give you the option to send them so actually one thing I wanted to ask you aside from that is if you did not submit a cover letter when it gives you the option to are you less likely to get noticed or asked to continue in the process as well yeah
1: this is kind of you know I I mean I wish there was I wish I could give you an exact answer I wish I could say this is what you should always do, but you can't because the cover letter is, you know, both a resume um, and a cover letter are all subjective. I can tell you that applicant tracking systems are gonna pick up the resumes better if you've got the right keywords, but we can't really tell you what in a cover letter is gonna get you noticed. The old rule was that you always want to put in the cover letter the things that aren't on your resume, you know, Mm -hmm. the intangible type things. A lot of, I mean, if I'm being honest, a lot of recruiters never read the cover letters. They just don't. Mm, interesting. The ones, the ones that specifically ask for a cover letter are totally going to read it. You yeah. know what I mean? They expect it. And so if, if, you've got, if, if in the ad, it doesn't ask for a cover letter, but they provide a button to upload it, that's going to have to be your own call. I don't want to tell you one way or the other because no, uh, I don't want to waste your time as far as yeah. making a cover letter for every job, knowing that half the recruiters aren't going to read them. And you know, and they they don't read them because they become like lip service. They they become, and it's not maybe yours is great, but if they've seen a million cliche cover letters, yeah. I'm a go getter. Okay, hey, everybody's a go getter. You know what I mean? I have attention <laughs> to detail. Yeah, everybody's got attention to detail. I've got a passion for fashion. Never use that. Brad, don't do it. Yeah. Um. So you know th- that that's what happens. So I would love mm-hmm. to tell you this. You know. Like a formula, A plus B equals C. I can't with a cover letter.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. They're probably also one of the most time-consuming parts of an application as well. Um, so I think that's a really great piece of advice. Is just you have to use your own judgment as to whether you think, like you said, if they require it, absolutely. But try, I think what you just said as well, like trying to avoid those cliches as well, because I think we're all guilty of having done them at least once in our past. So I think that's really important as well. Would you apply some of the tips you just said to, emailing recruiters and brands you know if you're doing I'm saying like I hate this term but like cold emailing when you're trying to reach out to see if they have any positions do they tailor that to, like, is it best for someone to tailor that towards a brand like do you have any advice for someone that's that's doing a lot of cold you emails? know if
1: you're going to like one I can tell you right now I mean just me personally on LinkedIn I get ten connection requests every day for direct to consumer marketing firms. I mean, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I get
0: that as well.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? And it gets to the point where it's you know it's annoying. It's yeah. like I don't like them anymore. <laughs> they don't they don't take the time to look at style careers to know that we're not a direct to consumer brand.
0: Yes. I don't that's, sell a product that's,
1: that's in touch, so I don't I don't sell shirts. So I don't yep. need somebody that hawks shirts online. And you don't want to be that person to recruiters if you're cold emailing. I hate to say it like this, but the candidate names that we typically remember, that recruiters typically remember, are the ones they don't like. Wow. The <laughs> ones that get annoying and that, you know what I mean? Like,
0: you like this person, white stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those
1: are the ones that, um, I'm like the only guy from Texas who speaks half Yiddish, you know what I mean? But uh, um, that that that's what we, you know, that's what happens with the cold emailing. Um, if you're going to do it, and I'm not saying don't do it because I know mm-hmm. I, I, I'm in sales, I reach out to people all the time, right? So you need to be, it needs to be personal. It needs mm-hmm. to be, Thoughtful, you know. I saw that so and so has this position. Name the position. Name the person. Any chance you can do this for me? I know it's going out of your way. Blah blah blah. If you're young, say I'm. A, I'm just coming up in the industry and I need a little help. I don't have the network. But yeah. it has to be written specifically for the position, and it's got to be thoughtful. And um it, you know what we see a lot of times are cut and paste. You know, form messages.
0: Yeah, it's not many personality to it. Yeah,
1: people see through it and. You know, for a job that, I mean, I get sales, cut and paste messages. I get it. You know what I mean? I don't have a problem with it. But if I'm asking you to do a favor for me and I don't, you don't even know me, I'm just somebody trying to yeah. get a job in the industry. It better be personal. It better be respectful. Yeah. You know it has to speak, so that, yeah that's how speak speak to. Them. Yeah. Again, there's no science associated with it. It's just, no. it comes down to, I know how I feel about it. I deal with thousands of fashion industry recruiters on a yearly basis and we talk so yeah of
0: course that's really good to know I think again a lot of people there's so many like templates out there for cold emailing for cover letters that I think you know if you really don't know where to start they're a nice starting point but you know don't use them word for word like really like you were saying like really try and hone in personalize it and half of it's probably luck too you know if you've really spoken to that person and they've got it and it really touches them like They'll see that and and wanna and maybe wanna help you regardless of the fact they've never even met you. But if it's just sounding like quite generic, then it's probably not gonna pique their interest.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And you know what? You'll notice that a lot of fashion industry recruit, like the hiring managers, you know, corporate recruiters, you you can't even connect to them anymore on LinkedIn. It's all follow me.
0: Yeah, and I completely understand why. I mean, I think about in agreement with what you just said. Half the emails. All messages I get on LinkedIn are completely not relevant to me, and yeah, there's I get exactly.
1: And then, you know what? Yeah. You get I mean, we get this all the time. You know, a candidate will contact Style Careers and say, "I was perfect for this job," and no one got back to me. And then you look at their resume, and they weren't perfect for the job. And then, <laughs> then, then you got to tell them. Do we tell them? You know, you got an ugly baby. You know that that's what the job seeker thinks isn't necessarily right. You know what I mean? And and then the other issue is. You know, applicant tracking systems, if they said they applied and no one heard back, well, it's because you put TD and their job was technical designer and you put yeah. merchandiser and the job was buyer, even though it's the same job, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: so, and you could, like you were saying, you could literally have someone that is perfect for the job and they literally didn't get through because they, you know, didn't use the right terminology and keywords. So. Yep. Yeah. So have you noticed any trends in what brands and recruiters are looking for in a candidate? Like, has that shifted at all in the last few years or is it pretty much the same? You know, it's 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 it's.
1: Um, we found that, you know, job seekers tend to get more uh, personal fulfillment mm-hmm. out of companies that hire for attitude. Because, I mean, really, when you get out of fashion school, you don't know you don't know how to do the job that you're going to do. You basically know the words and you know how to do things with your hands. you don't know how to do the job exactly right and it takes somebody to train you to do that job Yeah. and really for the first six months you're a net negative on the company because they're spending the time to get you to be proficient right yeah and you're not proficient and you're gonna make mistakes right yeah you know that that's part of the that's part of the deal that's part of the bargain we make as employers we know we're gonna lose money on you for a while and hopefully we're gonna make money on you and then hire for you know, we're going to train the right person, the person that's going to fit in with our culture. Companies yes. that talk a lot about culture. Well, smaller companies that talk about culture usually mean it. And then the big companies yep. that with like ESG scores, they just put it in there because it's lip service, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh, 100%. A larger company, it's really not as, as important because there's just so many people. And if, if you're a smaller company, your value to that company is often a lot larger because there's few of you doing multiple jobs at that company to try and make it work and to, and to keep it going. So it's that
1: firsthand, right? Because you you come to the States and you work for urban outfitters, huge office, big campus. And then in LA, it's like, you know, the cousin, half the companies, you know, it's,
0: you know, there's only a handful of you doing multiple jobs and yeah, completely, completely different. You know,
1: and and that's a big thing with um, applications. And I I know I'm probably getting off topic here. Yeah, no, uh, you're fine. Bigger companies typically have more specialized talent. Smaller Mm -hmm. companies need people that can wear a lot of hats, right? So when you're applying to jobs, you know, maybe this is something you put in a cover letter. Maybe it's something, you you know, you put somehow on your resume. But if I'm applying to an entrepreneurial startup, smaller company, the typical LA versus New York company, I'm going to show that I can, I'm going to show my diversity on my, in my resume or my cover letter. You know, with, you know, big companies that focus and I need somebody to do a relatively narrow task or yeah. a narrower task, right? You yeah. know, I want to show that and I want to, you know, I want to, you know, drill down into how well I can perform those particular.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely a really, actually a really good point. Like really know that company, you know, have this kind of size and scale of that company and what they might require from you.
1: Yeah, you know, and that, that yeah. dovetails with, you know, if you're contacting somebody through LinkedIn, like a cold email. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like if it's a small company, I wear a lot of hats. If it's a big company, you know, I'm, I'm really focused on this area. You know what yes. I mean?
0: So. Yeah, definitely. So we actually had a few questions um, sent to us regarding more senior level positions too. And one of those questions is what do mid and senior level designers need to include in their portfolios? And do you actually see less applications coming in for senior level positions and older candidates?
1: You know, we could have a podcast on older candidates and ageism <laughs> in the fashion industry that would last for three hours.
0: Oh, I'm sure
1: <laughs> we really could. And you can't see the gray yeah. in my hair, but it's <laughs> there. And I've been around a while. And I just know a lot of people that have had come up against it. Yeah. But as far as the question goes, as far as portfolios go, I'm not a portfolio expert. Um, we we yeah. definitely have some great portfolio articles on Style Dispatch and on Style Portfolios. Yeah. Um, but the overriding. Um, theme typically is to show product from concept to sales floor. I mean, so if I can show where I got the concept, I can show the sketches, I can show the, you know, the slicks, I don't know what we call them now, but the slicks. And then, you know, if I can show it in a, you know, an apparel news article or in Women's Wear Daily, or if I can show it on a, you know, catalog or website, then that's, that's, that show, you know what I mean? Because we want to show the commercialization. Yeah. Right. Because it's all at the end of the day, design as a commercial art. It's not an esoteric art. Uh, and so that, that that's what we need to show, right? The, the, the big issue that we have, you know, and since the pandemic is that um, the more salary you command, the less yep. likely are you going to be hired. Mm-hmm. because we're you know, I mean, it was brutal. I mean, we had seventy five percent unemployment in April of 2020, seventy five percent. Yeah, at the height the Great Depression in the 1930s, we had 50% unemployment. So wow. in our industry, <laughs> it was worse than the Great Depression. And, and yeah. it makes sense, right? You know, there's no weddings. I don't need bridesmaids' dresses. You know what I mean? There's no yeah. concerts. I don't need a new shirts so I can go look good for the girls, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, just, it's just not happening. And so our industry took a nosedive. But and those damn yoga pants—they're killing our business.
0: Yep. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely, I can definitely um, understand that. Yeah.
1: And so. And so companies were thinking, well, if I, you know, if I'm going to hire somebody at, and I'm just going to use generic numbers. If I can hire yeah. somebody at 150 grand a year, can I get 80, 90% of what they would do for hundred grand a year? Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so if you're somebody that commands a lot of salary, or at least perceives like you command a lot or, or perceived as commanding a lot of salary, yeah. you know, you're getting fewer looks at your resume. I'd love to have this person, but I can't afford her. Right. That's, yeah. the, that's the mentality people are having. So that's why we stress value, we value, 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 because especially with smaller companies, you yeah. know, the owners are closer to the to the P&L sheets. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, if I can, you know, and I can understand as a business owner, um, a return on investment, I can spend more on a particular item because I know it's going to bring me back more money. The analogy we always use is like the Chevy versus a Mercedes, right? Like me personally, I've got this Mercedes diesel. I bought it in 2005. It's going to run forever. I'll never have to get rid of this car and I can still drive it to any country (laughs) club in America. No one's going to say, oh, look at that old car. Well, if I had a 2005 Chevy, you know what I mean? Like a Malibu or something like that. It looks old and tired and probably wouldn't even run this long, right? Yeah. And so that Mercedes, it's going to last me another 10 years. So like yeah, on value, okay. it was a much better value than the Chevy, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. So gosh,
0: I didn't even think of it like that. That's actually a really great analogy. The so. LA
1: people always get the car analogies. New York is 50, right? 50. <laughs> yeah.
0: so. I was going to say not so many people driving. They're still crazy. Um, so something else I got asked was do recruiters focus on resumes over portfolios, which I I feel like you may have answered a little bit just in terms of even just the fact that you've almost got bots like looking at the resumes first. But what's usually most important? You know, are they equally important or is it well, really about you the resume? No,
1: you, no one's going to see your portfolio if you don't get past the gatekeepers. And that's either the bots or a person reading it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this kind of, you know, what we what we recommend for designers. And so you want, I mean, your show resume should have that clean, aesthetic that the high fashion blogs have, right? Yeah. That uh, like art galleries have a similar aesthetic. Yeah. I don't know if you shop any art galleries, but online mm-hmm. it's gotta have that, in the nineties we call it a Calvin Klein aesthetic, the less is more kind <laughs> of thing, very simple, right? Yeah. And so that's what we want in your show resume. Now, if your show resume looks good as a designer, you need to have a portfolio link Yeah. very near the top, within that, you know, that three second window of where people can see. So you have to have an online portfolio. You know, whether it's your own blog. I mean, quite honestly, blogs are so easy to to create and they're so cheap to create that every designer should have an online portfolio and you should have, you should actually have your own site, right? I mean, if this is your career, it gets a lot of traffic from fashion industry recruiters and then, you know, Behance or Coraflot or something like that, because, you know, you got to figure no one's going to find you
0: via Google
1: especially if your name's really generic. you know, So you can't rely on having your own portfolio for people to find you, but you yeah. can re- rely on having your own online portfolio when you're promoting yourself, right? When yeah. you're sending links in your resume. And I can tell you right now, when a recruiter gets uh, a resume and that link is live, she clicks it immediately. She'll click that portfolio link before she reads the rest of the resume. Because wow. she can okay. tell from the pictures if you're right for the job or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So in a way they're equally important no one's going to see the portfolio if you don't send the resume. Usually, yeah. and with the bots, you got to get past the bots. But once they're <laughs> there, when a live, when a real person sees that resume, if they can click that link, it's just it's instant gratification. You know, it's the TikTok of um, you know applying the jobs. You know what I mean? You see it yeah. like that.
0: Yeah, totally. It's like less effort on their part, and like you were saying earlier. I mean, they just get so many applications that if you are giving them a, a pretty good resume and you've got a direct link there it's all just very quick and easy for them you're more likely to to get seen and for them to actually see the breadth of like what you're offering them
1: you know a big thing with you know kind of like tracking your impact on a company whether you save people money or yeah. you know um you know save money or make money you know let, let's say you you know let's say you created a, a profile and style careers 10 years ago right Yep. And you get the job alerts and you look at them out of curiosity. I do the same thing with Realtor.com, and I'm not looking for a house, but I still look at all the houses, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you get a job and then, wow, this is something I've always wanted. Or, you know, you know and then you want to apply. You click that link and the, job, and the, the uh, job listing says, submit samples of your work or a portfolio. Okay. So what happens? Okay. Well, my portfolio is not up to date. So now I'm going to go. Yeah. Spround, and then it's going to take me a couple days and, you know, then my kid might get sick or, you know, like, yeah. oh, I stub my toe or whatever it is. <laughs> and then you forget to come back to it. Yeah. And then you missed out on a dream opportunity or, yes. you know, it's five days later and they've already got 50 good resumes. And now you're yeah. the
0: bottom of the pile. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, you know, as you're working on things, just update your portfolio. And it's easy. Yeah. It's a lot easier with an online portfolio than it is a physical portfolio.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. I remember when I was first starting out, like the whole online portfolio just like wasn't really a thing compared to what it is now. And yeah, updating my like binder I had to take in was just a whole thing. Like it's so much, so much easier now. And what to what you were saying, like you can totally get free online portfolios now. I've seen people putting their portfolio on social media, on Instagram, and things like that. Like that's another nice way to do it. But I think some of the things you are saying about actually getting your portfolio and some of the other some of the other platforms is really really useful information actually because I don't think a lot of people think to do that. I think a lot of people just stick with like at the most doing their online portfolio and it doesn't necessarily go beyond that. So
1: yeah, yeah, and just and I we only got I'm only thinking of this because we've we've had some some phishing scam artists try to contact candidates recently. With your portfolios, with your resumes, anything that's online, don't mm. include any personal information. You know, not yeah. I mean, just don't do it.
0: 100%. Um,
1: you know, you don't, and I mean, personal information, meaning your address, your zip code, your social yeah. security number, your date of birth. Just, you know, don't even put your physical address. I don't, you know, quite honestly, I don't even want people to put their city they live in on something like that. You know, can yeah. say, I mean, you can say Brooklyn, New York. But if your name is really unique, you might be the only person with that name in Brooklyn, New York. And now some creepo can find you. You know
0: what I mean? Oh, 100% is actually a really, really good point. I didn't even think of that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people probably don't include their address. But certainly even specifying down to like the town or the city you're in may not be the best idea. So I want to get to some of the more difficult conversation. Well, I always think it's a difficult conversation, which is salaries. Um, But it's something that everyone wants to know about because everyone wants to know whether they're getting a good deal, what they should be asking for, you know, all the things. Do you feel like salaries have increased much to reflect the rate of inflation in the past decade or have they stayed quite stagnant? And I know you touched upon it a little bit earlier saying that people are trying to go for like lower salaries right now. So I'm interested to know your perspective on that.
1: Uh, Salaries have definitely come up. Are they matching inflation? No, no. And, and, and it's not necessarily even the apparel company's fault or the you know, accessories or footwear companies. Inflation is just ridiculous right now. And what's sad is the way we measure inflation right now compared to 20 years ago is different. And our inflation, if they say 7%, it's really like 12 or 15% because yeah. they don't take in the price of gas. You know what I mean? Like
0: Oh, God, yeah.
1: idiocy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I better shut up. Uh, mm-hmm. What we've noticed on job listings is that obviously the jobs that have the that don't have a salary or that have a lower, you know, salary? They get a lot fewer applications, and it gets to the point to where, you know, we as a job board, people will say, "Chris, nobody's applying to my ad." I, I, your job board is not doing its job. No, I, that's not my fault. If yeah. you got if it's a twenty dollar an hour job or if it's a, a fifty thousand dollar entry level position in New York, the salary's too low, and that's you can't yeah. blame me. I can get a ton of views on the job of the right people, but if you know if the salary's low, people aren't gonna apply. Right. And it's not yeah. like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when you just wanted to get your foot in the door. You know what I mean? Like so many people just want to get their foot in the door. And you know, job seekers today don't have that mentality. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. If you've got mm-hmm. an idea of what your worth is, then you know, you do you. And, and as far as salary goes, you know, once you're in there, it goes back to track your value. Track where you made money, save money. and That way you can justify asking for a raise sooner than later. Or at least you've got that 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 information to take to another employer and say, well, you know what? This is what I did at this company and this is what I feel like I deserve. Talking about salary is not a comfortable subject. I mean, people, are, we, mm-hmm. we grow up not talking about it. It's one of the yeah. things that you do not talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting, I mean, you know, when we had a career fair in New York, I had uh, a brick come up to me and they said, this is an amazing event. I've never, we would never go up to somebody and say, here's my resume, hire me for a job. And so, um, you know, talking about salary, it's difficult. You have to be comfortable talking about money or you're not going to get it. You just not. And then, you know, the big deal is you can't be unrealistic, right? Because then people think you're crazy or they think you're too full of yourself or, you know, then they're going to, or they're going to put such demands on you to justify the salary. So, the big deal is look at what other jobs are paying, know your value at a company, track that value. And and then if if it's just like a sale, if you want to raise, you've got to ask for it. And then you got to justify it, right?
0: Yeah. So do you think, I mean, you've got a lot of brands from like all over the world on your site. You know, if I'm a fashion professional and I'm looking for a country or a region that offers the highest salary, where should I be looking?
1: Well, if... <laughs> I mean I, I don't know much about the international market as far as um pay goes i, I think that money generating a country ever is the united states yes and so i you're gonna you're, you're gonna you're gonna do well here yeah um, i agree I, I think some of the salaries in canada are, are pretty good the, a lot of the yeah. bigger companies are in vancouver but the cost of living there is ridiculous like it's It's like New York, but it's not New York. What do you
0: think about uh, UK salaries?
1: You know, we would love to have Style Careers UK, but uh, we just never had the time to do it, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I could definitely speak to it a little bit because actually when I look at some of the, I mean, one of the biggest things, even when I moved to the US, you know, salaries I definitely noticed were significantly higher out here than in the UK. And actually in the UK market, something I've really noticed is I'll see entry-level jobs appear on my LinkedIn and they're not paying much different to what I got paid. Over 12 years ago, and that to me is insane. You're talking um, about in the UK. In the UK, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think naturally in the US, it's it's higher in general anyway, like significantly higher. But when, yeah, when I see some of the jobs advertised in the UK, they're not not far off what oh, I was getting And then getting, you got in the, into account
1: the tax rates.
0: Yeah, that's true too. And especially in the US, that varies for different states as well. um as and, big we moved to Texas. Yeah, I was going to say there's definitely a reason to be there um and actually I've noticed that you know I think in my past when I have applied to jobs in other states you know I have noticed that they don't some of those jobs aren't always reflective of the states they're in so you know I've applied for jobs in San Francisco before and actually in fashion jobs I don't know if you you might have a difference of opinion on this but I don't actually think their salaries are that reflective of that area for example so I've like looked at salary and I'm like okay if I was to take that job and live in that state i'd have to share with about 10 people in a house right for what i can afford you know to afford to be there um so sometimes i don't always think that all states reflect sort of you know when certain fashion jobs don't reflect the state they're in i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: no i think you're exactly right you know what i mean like for for example um you know some of the companies in the midwest like kohl's or target they're going to they're going to they you're going to get a better salary and a yeah. lower cost of living but then you got to live where it snows half the year. Yeah, uh, there's,
0: there's pros and cons of like, yeah. And I mean, that's why California isn't a cheap place to live in because it's beautiful here. You know, we're all here for a reason.
1: Yeah. It's like, yes. it's like the difference between California and Texas in that California's got such beautiful weather and coastline, and Texas is hot and ugly. you you, <laughs> you got to, you know what I mean? Like, you, you want to live there, right? Yeah. Uh, Texas, you're coming here for different reasons. Totally. Right. And so it just depends on the reasons that are important to you. But, you know, to get back on what I was talking about, when you move up the ladder, you, you can make some money. This is a great industry oh, yeah. to make money in, unless you start your own company. And then you can. You, you, you totally can. There are several billionaire apparel people, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, like, you, you've got to move up. And then, you know, I think the people that make the biggest money typically take a risk and start their own company.
0: I agree. And I think, yeah, as you're saying, as you climb further and further up, I mean, obviously, the job search gets smaller and smaller the higher level you go but there's there's definitely money to be made in this industry i know that you know anyone that's sort of a creative director head of design you know they're on a pretty comfortable salary
1: yeah no, accounting ex- sales are a big deal like if you're working a, yeah. as an account executive you can make a, a great salary right yeah and then, and then and then there's always scarcity of certain positions you know what i mean so and, you know certain times pattern makers make a whole lot more than they did 10 years prior sometimes it's tech yeah. designers and now it's Planners or its e-commerce types, you know what I mean? Yeah, whoever's Um, in
0: demand. Cool. So I want to finish off with this last question. So if there's anyone currently looking for a position in the fashion industry but not sure whether now is a good time of year to apply, what advice do you have for them?
1: Well, I I think that if you need a job, you need a job, and you shouldn't you shouldn't (laughs) not apply to jobs. Don't take a month off, or don't take a whole month off because you think nobody's going to look at your resume. As a matter of fact, a lot there's a lot of churn uh, that happens right now because the beginning of the year is when a lot of people change their jobs. It's always the busiest uh, month. January is always the busiest month for uh, job boards. So you, you really have... A lot of people are planning to quit and they quit right after the new year. A lot of recruiters know this. So yeah. they're pipelining talent right now. So when you're applying now, when you're getting in front of recruiters during the month of December, you're really setting things up for the churn that happens in January, right? I can't stress mm-hmm. enough how important it is to be applying to jobs right you know during this during the whole holiday month another thing is is that most recruiters come from hr and Mm -hmm. hr people have a tendency to take time off different than you know say designers or buyers or something like that right so a lot of times they work when the office is empty because everybody else is taking their big holidays, right? So yeah. the week of Christmas or the week before New Year's, they're in like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for a Friday holiday, right? And so when you're applying, you're, you're seeing more because fewer people are applying, you know what I mean? So mm, you're less okay. diluted by the other talent that comes in.
0: Ooh, that's super interesting. So basically, yeah, if you're, if you're trying to get a position now, don't hesitate basically because you're pretty much gonna get in front of the line essentially. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, is that for everything? No. But, you know, like, it's just the one thing that we've observed. And, yeah. you know, the bottom line is if you need a job, you need a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's exactly. just the way it is. And yeah. if somebody else gets that job between now and January 1st, then you missed out on that job, right?
0: Well. This has been absolutely amazing. I appreciate you coming on to do this so much. I've even learned, you know, I've been doing this a while and I've learned so much just from this conversation. So I have no doubt that everyone listening will learn a lot as well. Where can our listeners like keep up to date with Style Careers? Because I know you said you have various platforms and you have your blog and everything else.
1: You know, the big deal is to sign up for job alerts, right? So if you go to Style Careers, create a profile, you know, sign up for the job alerts. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe you just get it once a day or once a week but we use that list to promote our career fairs. We have a, um, a sales only career fair for in January going into like magic and Coterie and all, you know, the LA markets and all that sort of stuff. So we'll have like a sales only career fair. We're having another diversity equity and inclusion career fair in February. We've got a sustainability career fair coming up. And so, you know, if you're getting the job alerts, you're going to be, you're going to be notified of everything because you'll get the, you know, our newsletter and you'll get the urgent message and the big thing with the job alert profile is that you can be completely confidential. Right. So you can set up that profile so nobody can see it. You can set it up so you're current, you know, you can select one or two employers not to see your resume at all if you oh, want to.
0: Interesting. Or
1: you can make your profile available for anybody who's using Style Careers to be able to find you. If you just want to know, it's like, it's like looking for a house and then getting those letter emails again. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, well, I still want to see what's out. Yeah. But that's, that's the best way to keep up with us. And we got your email. We're going to let you know what's going on. So.
0: Cool. Well, I will put all the links to get to Style Careers and to read the blog as well. You know, I'm going to get that all in the description for this podcast episode, so everyone will have that information. So, yeah, I just really want to say thank you so much again. Really appreciate you taking the time. It's been really well, great you know to talk to
1: you. Taking the time to speak with this. Um, I mean, and you know, you've been a good friend of Style Careers over the years, so I really appreciate yeah. that too. And you know, for anybody who's listening remember your uh, your keywords on your resume i can't stress that enough so
0: yeah honestly that's implanted in my brain now after this conversation <laughs> i don't know about you but i learned so much on this episode a huge thanks to chris for taking the time to provide us with tons of great advice I know I found our conversation really insightful, especially when Chris talked about how the use of keywords in resumes is so important when applying for jobs. For anyone that submitted a question for Chris via Instagram, I hope we provided you with the answers you were looking for. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and found it inspiring. If you're interested in keeping an eye on the latest roles in fashion, you can head to the Style Careers website or sign up to their newsletter, All the links will be in this episode's description. Please don't hesitate to get in touch via social media via the handle at fashionandthefree on Instagram and TikTok. You can check out the website fashionandthefree.com where you will find plenty of insightful articles from industry professionals. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. I'll see you on the next episode.